This is the Rory Elford Podcast for the 20th of December 2016, a podcast about Apache Hadoop and the surrounding ecosystem for anyone working with or investigating big data. My name is Dave, and here is my slightly ill co-host, Jon. Hey, Jon. Hi, Dave. And if I'm not mistaken, you're joining me in the fun. Yeah, yeah, I appear to have pick, picked up some kind of uh, some kind of cold and cough and all sorts. So apologies to the audience. Just be grateful that uh, uh, one thing that we can't transmit, although we transmit plenty of fun and frivolity uh, through the airwaves, uh, you won't get my cough or cold or Jon's lurgy. I don't know, because for some reason we've infected each other, apparently, and we're pretty far away from each other, so... <laughs> this is true. This is true and slightly disturbing. Yeah, my virus checker didn't pick that up, that's for sure. So, I think we're uh, we're pretty much going straight through this week, so there's no news. Well, there is news. Obviously, things have happened, but we're not going to be talking about them this week, because it's a special episode, isn't it, Jan? Yes, it's our bold predictions, past and future this time. Indeed. So this is where we go through and, uh, well, I guess reflect on the past with some of the predictions we made last year uh, and uh, see how many of those came true and how many of those uh, fell just like tragic dreams at the wayside. Oh, no, no. We've got super precognizant powers, man. You don't make mistakes. Uh, okay. Well, I guess I guess we'll soon see because <laughs> I haven't re-listened to that episode, so this is going to be a surprise to me. I can vaguely remember some of the things that we talked about, but uh, I think it, I think it should be quite fun. So let's let's see how close we got. Yeah. Well, I did re-listen because I took some snippets from the old episode, so we can play them on today's show. Yeah. So uh, it's not too bad. We were oh, just right, very, right. very, 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 very wrong. <laughs> <laughs> oh well, it's nice that we're consistent at least. <laughs> All right. So um, just before we go into the next section, then I'll just like a quick shout out to the uh, XRH crew. Um, we had a, a Christmas meetup um, where we all enjoyed a steak and they ridiculed me about the podcast. So thanks for that, friends. Um, no, seriously, uh, all good. And uh, enjoy the listening. Yeah, it's fun to have fans of the show. I don't know. It's a lot of fun to have people re- react that way. It is. It is. All right. So, without any further ado, should we see just how wrong we were? Yeah, I'm just going to put a little bit of music here so I can put a timestamp in this show notes. And when we get back, we'll, we'll go over our bold predictions from last year and see how wrong we really were. See you then. Welcome back. Let's go with the bold prediction. So, as Dave, you, you didn't listen, you don't have any idea what we had? No, this is all going to be disturbingly surprising for me. Well, one thing must still be very clear in your mind, you know, the, 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 the fact that you actually stole one of mine. Oh, yeah, of course. But I promise I wouldn't go uh, mention that again, so let's not. Anyway, let's start this. The first um, prediction came from me. And if things, if my technology doesn't fail me, we should be hearing my prediction now. I predict that Atlas, the whole governance thing, isn't going to be the start of the year yet. Next year is going to see improvements, but I don't really see it going to take prime time limelight in 2016. So that was me being a bit negative about Apache Atlas. And I'm afraid to say that I think I was wrong. I was right. Um, yeah, okay, I'll give you that one. Um, <laughs> I, 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 would, I would so, I would so have liked to say, no, Jan, yeah, you're wrong. Definitely, Atlas has nailed it. Atlas has arrived. Um, I think it took a lot. It took a long time to actually get to a point where it was really usable, and that was only really with kind of two five onwards where it started to cover more of the native ecosystem and it was only really with around about the two five release that we started to see um you know a, a decent list of third-party isv solutions really you know starting to uh, tie into the atlas central metadata repository and, and that sort of thing so yeah, did you actually see those third-party tie-ins because to be totally honest i mean I've taken a step farther away from Hortonworks now, changing jobs and everything, so I'm a bit further away from the, the team that does, I think, most of the work on Atlas. Yeah. And 
I haven't seen Atlas anywhere. I mean, a year ago you had the Hive integration, which was kind of hooked up and gave a glimpse of what it might be. But if I look today, I don't really see that much difference. I do hear a lot of people, a lot of partners, ISVs, talk about how they think it's a good idea and we need governance. And yeah, we will integrate and are working on it. But real practical, here it is. I haven't seen anything yet. Yeah, I mean, so the the three that um, I, I remember off the top of my head are uh, three ISV solutions that are fully Atlas certified and integrated into Atlas are Waterline, mm-hmm. um, Ativio, and Trifactor. Um, you know, all, all of which are, um, are are interesting because they're the kind of vendors that you'd expect to be towards the the cutting edge. Um, mm. You know, we're not seeing well, some of the older legacy organizations popping up here, which yeah, but, is no real surprise. Uh, yeah, I, I know Waterline. They kind of do discovery of your data in your databases and then generate meta tagging, and they kind of decided to put the meta tagging and the classification into the Atlas database instead of their own, or at least link those two up. What do the other two guys do? So, Ativio is. Um, it's sort of again a similar sort of thing, providing sort of a, a unified view of your data across multiple silos that you can um, that you can create. So they've got um, sort of enterprise search sort of platform. They do a lot of text analytics, um, that sort of thing. So they've got you know catalogs, identify relationships between fields and between data sources, um, provide some sort of visual model. That they can they can wrap around both um, structured and semi structured resources, and then they sort of um, they can plug into uh, other analytics tools such as Click and R and mm-hmm. Spotfire and Tableau. Mm-hmm. Um, I suppose you want to know what about, about Trifactor as well. Ah, yes, of course. Not not only me. I mean, you have all the world the, the, hanging on your the lips. Audience too. So, so they they use the term. Data wrangling, um, which is a um, one of those words that can mean anything to anybody, but essentially it's all about making sure that as you move your sort of data through through its sort of initial ingest, and then you you know we, t- we talk about HDFS usually having multiple different zones. So you have a raw data zone, you have a discovery zone, you have a sort of a shared zone or a, um, an exposed zone or something like a presentation layer. Um, and a, you know, um, a trifactor is often used as as part of that um, analysis and consumption and manipulation of of data during that sort of phase. Um, I must admit, I don't know too much about trifactor. It's not something I've had very much hands on experience with. But it, um, I think it's when if we go back to the initial prediction, your prediction was that uh, Atlas wouldn't properly see the see the limelight in in mm-hmm. twenty sixteen and. You know, I think unfortunately that has that has become true. Um, so how, the question is, how are we going to handle this? Are we going to say what we think about this particular prediction in twenty seventeen, uh, or are we going to leave that part. until later? That's for the second part. All right, we're all talking right. past now. This is Christmas oh, okay. past. Christmas future is coming. <laughs> all right. Okay, Scrooge. <laughs> Don't you forget it. Um, yeah, just going back to your three examples there, all of those are then in the tagging part of the whole thing, but not in the enforcing part. On the enforcing part, just uh, if on Hive, it's uh, Atlas, for instance, if a certain table in Hive is tagged with PII and I don't, ha- I don't have the role, I won't see that column, whatever. Yeah. Yeah. And that integration is what I think is the, is, is the real power behind it. I mean, yes, you need the classification, you need the tagging, and if you can automate that, that's ideal. But that isn't what Atlas is supposed to do, right? It doesn't do, and that doesn't do governance. Governance is the fact that you, yes, log stuff for auditing purposes, but also avoid leaks. And that's where I think Atlas should be, yeah, active. And I don't see that anywhere yet. Well, I mean, that's why that. So that's why tag-based security policies now exist within Ranger, so that you can do exactly that. You can you can um, secure mm-hmm. policies not just based on role-based access control, but tag-based access control. Yeah, but so, Ranger is uh, Hadoop only. I mean, Atlas has always been built to be for Hadoop and across Hadoop and outside of Hadoop. Everybody should hook into this thing, but Ranger will never be 
uh, enforcing access on your, I don't know, uh, Tableau connection, or... although Tableau to Hive would go to Ranger. But if you, yeah. if in Hive, if I make a new table from an existing table, all governance-related tagging rules will go with it. If I do an export from uh, Hive into Oracle or SQL Server or whatever, Ranger will not have anything to do with that. And those guys also don't hook into Atlas. So the the whole idea of having the Atlas thing go across Hadoop, it doesn't work yet. Yeah, so I don't think you're quite right there. I don't think Atlas has ever been really envisioned to be stretching beyond... Um, the Hadoop layer. I don't think that's Ooh. ever been the intention. Oh, yes, it was. I'm pretty sure of that because the whole idea was that, beep, that co- uh, companies that want a company-wide layer because if not, you have to kind of, if you do forensics, you have to go into this data store, that data store and get that logging and that logging and try to mix them together and you don't have anything. The whole idea of the, the Atlas thing being a, a pluggable infrastructure and a totally open API was to actually have that happen. And actually, when I was still at Hortonworks, I did a demo for a Dutch bank where I demonstrated how that could work if you did manual scripting to do that tagging from outside uh, the cluster into the Hadoop uh, data store. So yeah, maybe that's changed, possible. Yeah, I. so I don't know. I mean, I know it's possible, but I, I think right now there's there's so much other stuff that needs doing that that's True. a... That's a very much a, a long, you know, maybe a long-term goal, but it's not certainly not a short to medium-term no, goal. Sure. Short to medium, we just need to fix, um, you know, governance and make it available and accessible yeah. on the, you know, throughout the Hadoop platform from beginning to end, from data ingest all the way through to presentation at the end and everything else that's part of that. Yeah, sure. And of course, uh, the, the the Atlas guys, they don't have control over the external parties. I mean, they can make the API easy to use and accessible, but they can't force anybody to do it and have a lot more ties with the rest of the Hadoop ecosystem to make that happen, of course. But yeah. do I remember correctly that I saw a roadmap somewhere earlier this year that Atlas would have Storm integration by the end of 2016? Yeah, yeah. and that's, that's, that's all in place that's now. In so place they, now. Yeah, yeah. So it does cover a, you know, a fairly reasonable... Um, chunk of the of the native Hadoop ecosystem now, which is that that was what came in the two five release. So, mm-hmm. a lot of that coverage is now all in place. Um, so it's really for me adoption of Atlas is really more about you know adopting later releases of Hadoop. I you know if you're looking at distros HTTP two point five onwards, or it's about um, or oh, and I guess it's about um, more third-party ISV solutions also integrating with Atlas, unless you have, you know, the wider ecosystem also putting data into it, then it still becomes a disjointed environment. And I mm-hmm. think it's getting there, you know, with third-party ISVs actually getting certification and having that uh, having that integration. It's a nice start, but there's a lot of tools out there, and yeah. there's a lot of there's a lot more work to be done there. Yeah, they, they kind of get to a situation. Have to get to a situation where when a new ta- a new tool is being developed or created, that of course we include Atlas connectivity, yep. or else our tool yep. would not be viable in the market. And yep. they're a long way away from that. Yeah, 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 yeah. Yep, absolutely agreed. Okay, look at the next uh, bold prediction. All right, go for it. That was one of yours. So in beginning of, uh, no, end of 2015, Dave said the following. My my big bold prediction is, is NiFi will rule all ingest. I think NiFi will start to replace a lot of the various different ingest pipelines that people have kind of nailed together over the years. Well, Dave, why do you think about that? I'm pretty happy with that, actually. Um, I think I think it is. Um, NiFi has taken a, a, a hold on a lot of data ingest and data movement. Um, I've certainly seen and worked with multiple organisations that have replaced their aging sort of um, certainly aging flume infrastructures that they built up some time ago. Um, most of those are now all gone. There's still a few stragglers here and there, but most of those are all gone. And certainly, um, any new environment that I work with and um, get stood up, I see you know NiFi going in there, you know, pretty much straight away. It just 
certainly from the organizations that I'm working with and uh, the, the projects I'm engaged with, I'm seeing NiFi now as being the de facto standard for um, data, data movement and data ingest. The only exception to that, I would say, is like huge, um, you know, very significant bulk uh, ingest of SQL data still pretty much goes down to scoop. Um, now NiFi does have sort of a variety of different SQL processes. It's it's possible to do some of that in NiFi, but if you've got just huge volumes of relational data, Scoop's still the uh, the best engine for doing that. But with with that sort of exception noted, um, I personally am fairly happy with that prediction. Oh, uh, I'm my rose tinted glasses aren't as rose as yours are. Yours are. <laughs> um, I think you're right if you talk about ingest to Hadoop clusters. But even the commercially supported version from Hortonworks is being, um, being positioned as something complementary to Hadoop and a lot of other things. So definitely you can ingest to Hadoop, but you can also use it to do your data movement across whatever, ingesting it into normal SQL databases and so on and so on. I mean, it's actually a different product at Hortonworks, it's a data flow, it's called, I think. Yeah. And on that point, I don't think it rules all because people are still using old style message buses. Kafka is still very much alive and doing new things as well. Personally, I prefer NiFi because it's a lot more flexible and just more fun to work with, to be honest. But I don't think NiFi has gotten over its, um, I don't know, let's call it acceptance hurdle, uh, the new thing, the new kit on the block, even though it's already old from the NSA and everything like that. For a lot of people, it's still new technology. And Kafka people, a lot more people know about Kafka. And it's getting used a lot, still a lot in, in the world today. So... I'm not, I wouldn't agree that it rules all ingest today unless you say ingest into Hadoop. Um, probably. I think you're probably right. <laughs> um, I, I struggle to answer that because I, I am aware of several projects where Hadoop is almost a byproduct to you know where they're ingesting data and it's actually more about the things that they can do during the data movement so prioritization optimization of flows and deciding when and where data should flow and why um which have you know we've talked about nifi a number of times um so that those are the, the kind of things that nifi is very good for mm-hmm. and actually the fact that you know one of the data um, platforms that is feeding happens to be Hadoop at the end of it, but that's not the reason that they've gone for that. So I don't know. I mean, we're we're all coloured by our uh, our experiences mm-hmm. and the the customers we deal with and the the uh, that sort of uh, interaction. So I think I'm possibly exposed to a different customer set, maybe a little bit wider and a little bit more obviously focused on Hortonworks technologies. Mm-hmm. Um, as that's my employer, and that's what we tend to do. So, uh, so yeah, I, I think that that's, that is still a fair assessment. There is still certainly a lot of uh, a lot of Kafka out there. Although that I'm starting to see, I'm starting to see people focus Kafka um, back where it should have been, rather than, I mean, bef- certainly in times before life, I, Kafka was used as the answer to everything, mm-hmm. um, which is potentially a little bit crazy. I mean, you wouldn't want you know, small Kafka clusters in each branch office, for example, um, which is uh, one solution that it, that has been very recently replaced, which was just a little bit crazy. That should never have gone through. Um, but yeah, we'll see. We'll see. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. But uh, if I really look at at your, your wording from uh, from last year, it will rule all ingest. That kind of would mean it would have obliterated Flume, Kafka, and everything else. Yeah. I'll give it a maybe a yeah, you're 50% right. <laughs> I'll take that 50%. I'll add another 50% and I'll make that 100%. Thank you. Well, we'll talk about this later, sir. <laughs> All right. Who's up next? Uh, uh, one of mine again. Each is turn, right? So last year I had a brilliant uh, brain fart, I guess the name is. Here it is. 
I boldly predict that Spark SQL will become a serious contender for other memory SQL engines like Hawk and Impala. This moment, Spark SQL is still infant-like, still needs a lot of work, but I see how fast Spark is growing, and I see them becoming a serious contender or even replacer of other in-memory SQL engines. Mm. I'm prepared to eat crow here. (laughs) (laughs) And it really surprises me because Spark SQL now versus 12 months ago, yeah, they had an update uh, when Spark 2.0 came out, I think it was, and it's definitely improved. So the speed of Spark SQL has improved and their uh, support of the SQL language has improved and how you use the thing has improved. That was mainly because of the adoption of the data frames. Hmm. In actual usage, I have seen Spark SQL being used absolutely nowhere. Yeah. <laughs> and when I say used, I mean used as the main reason to use Spark. Because, yeah, yeah, I've got a Spark to flow and I need to have some data from a Hive table. I'll use Spark SQL to do that, definitely. So for that kind of stuff. But that's not what Spark SQL was meant to do, right? Yeah. Have you seen more Spark SQL in the in the in the, in the wild? I really haven't. I really haven't. As you say, not not as the the main reason for using Spark. It just it's. I mean, to me, it epitomizes the um, um, the popularity of Spark. It, it's just one more tool in the toolbox that Spark provides, and it's used as such. You know, a bit of Python, bit of Scala, bit of Spark SQL all together, and does great things. But I'm not. I'm not seeing it used as the primary reason for using Spark. Yeah. It surprises me because Spark has so much momentum over the whole year, and their PR machine's been working very well as well. And yeah, all the rest has really gone leaps and bounds. To be honest, if you look at the whole, uh, all the other parts of the Spark ecosystem, and yep. Spark SQL benefited from those leaps and yep. had some, uh, let's call it evolutionary. Changes in, integrated, but no, it definitely hasn't replaced any other <laughs> in memory SQL stores. Actually, no. I've seen more movement on the other ones. But uh, do you think it's do you think it's a SQL semantics thing, or is it just just not there yet? I think it's the people that are working with Spark are the people, and sorry if I insult anybody, everybody that are running away screaming from SQL in their daily lives. Yeah, the data scientists that work with Spark to do all the fun stuff Spark can do are exactly the people that don't want to work with SQL unless they really, really have to or get immediate benefit from it. For example, doing a quick query to get some data points. So I think yeah. it's it's a tool that's pointed at the wrong people, to be honest. <laughs> Yeah, yeah, could well be, could well be. But again, I could be totally wrong on this. So audience, if you think I'm. Uh, Totally wrong. Yeah, if, if you've know. got a if you've got a big Spark project out there that's uh, that's doing everything using Spark SQL, let us know. Um, we'd love to we'd love to hear a bit more about it. Yeah, let us know. Let, let the world know because I still think it's very good uh, technology, and the, the the incremental upgrade they did this year really made it fast and usable. It really, I'm really surprised why it doesn't hasn't catched on still because I still stand behind the predictions from last year that it should have. <laughs> Well, I guess we'll find out. Let's uh, let's bring up the next one. I'm guessing it's one of mine. Uh, well, you say it's one of yours, but uh, let's just listen to this. So, final big bold prediction. Um, I'm going to steal your last big bold prediction, which no, is you know. yeah, I am, I am. Look, I'm stealing it right now. IBM drops its proprietary Hadoop distribution. <laughs> so, <laughs> whose was this now? <laughs> Uh, it's definitely mine. <laughs> well, I did add a little clarification at the end after you admitted you stole it. <laughs> so I'm just going to play that one now. It's a short snippet. At IBM sees that their values in their analytic suite on top of it. So that was the reason I put that on there. <laughs> but uh, I actually think this is a success. Yeah, yeah, I'd go with that. Because <laughs> they dropped their big insights for their power series, right? <laughs> uh, yeah. <laughs> And I didn't say that we want to drop it across the whole ecosystem. Just well, no, I kind of did, didn't I? <laughs> well, I think if you you look at um, you know they've they've now have 
what they're calling the IBM Open Platform. Um, so they have big SQL and all these kind of value-add things that plug into um, ODPI-compliant distributions like HDP and so on. So, you know, I... I think I I think we we and I say we here because okay I might have I might have slightly pinched that prediction. Um, <laughs> and the but, statement uh, of the year. <laughs> but I think uh, I think I think I think we nailed that one. You know, IBM has leaned into ODPI. Um, is you know focused on now the IBM Open platform, um, and then adding value add like uh, big insights and that sort of thing on top. So. I'm I'm f- pretty happy with that prediction. I think uh, I think that was winning. Nah, I don't think we can go that far because I still have big insights in the portfolio, and I still see competes going on against uh, other flavors of Hadoop versus theirs. So they haven't dropped it down yet. They have made a big step in that direction. I agree. And if comparing it again, it's IBM. I mean, everything <laughs> is going to take a long. It, it takes a long a long time to turn around a, a huge behemoth like IBM. I mean, I think I, I say that even what they've achieved so far is, uh, is, is impressive mm-hmm. given, you know, what they've been fighting against yeah. largely for the past couple of years. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. But I would still say they're on the road and haven't really done it yet. If you compare it to Pivotal, as we did last time, Pivotal also first did a move where they became ODPI compliant. And then yeah. in the second step kind of dropped PhD and said, no, we're going to go for HDP from this point onwards. Yeah. I think IBM is at the moment in that first stage still. So I don't see it as a success really. So no. Let's call it another 50%. All right. Well, I'll add another 50% to that one and call it a win. Hooray. <sighs> the creative bookkeeping of Mr. Dave Russell, people. Thank you very much. <laughs> That's why the podcast is going bankrupt, of course. <laughs> <laughs> anyway, that was all the predictions I had from last year, and I kind of kept a tally, and I got a win for myself and a half win for myself and got two half wins for you. So I win. Ah. Oh. And that's, but, but that's you keeping the tally. If I keep the tally, no, 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 no. We agreed. I was going to keep the tally, and tally keepers <laughs> always win. Yeah, I, I sense that this may well be, may well be somewhat rigged, but uh, no, it's I'll, it's, I'll, it's, it's Munchkin rules. In, in the in, in the interest of uh, of the Christmas spirit, I'll I'll let you take that. <laughs> Okay, well, I think we've proven that we are totally wrong. We make bold predictions. At least we're in the yeah. somewhere in the ballpark. So, unless you have something else to add for the past I, I, all I would say yep. is that at least everything that we talked about was a thing. Like <laughs> it didn't completely. None of the things that we talked about completely faded into obscurity in us. We didn't listen to any of those and go, huh, "Did we actually say that?" <laughs> so I, 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 I take that as a win. There we go. I win. Yeah, I'm kind of afraid that we kind of keep, get get, get uh, how you call it, courage from this, and in the next part of this episode where we do the poll predictions from next year, we might go overboard a bit. So, <laughs> oh god, I'm I'm very curious to hear to, to hear what you've come up with. And, All right, uh, we'll see. Well, let's go to music, and when we get back, all poll predictions for 2017. So as we've demonstrated our catastrophic failure to be able to predict the future, ah. um, we're going to do it all over again. Hooray! <laughs> <laughs> um, what could possibly go wrong uh, apart from none of this coming true? Um, so if we have predicted your success, um, I'm really sorry about that <laughs> because that probably means you won't survive. Um, but that being said, let's get into it. Let's uh, let's see if we can uh, let's see if we can come up with some bold predictions that might actually come true this time. How are you feeling, Jon? How's your 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 temporal lobe feeling? Well, I'm. I got a couple of predictions in mind, and the first one came from my crystal ball that's a bit cracked, so I'm not entirely sure if that's going to happen. But hey, these are bold predictions. So, am I allowed to go for my first one? Go for your first one. My first one is titled "Fragmentation." It's not something I'm looking forward to, 
but it's something I've been feeling is happening already, I think. And I think in the next year, we're going to see a lot more evidence of it. And that's a fragmentation of the Hadoop environment. When Hadoop started, it was very small. It had a couple of things in there. Then a lot of stuff got added to it. Uh, some was really bolt on. The rest was really useful in there. But at this point in time, the Hadoop ecosystem, the Hadoop environment is so large that it becomes less and less obvious to just install Hadoop. I've had a number of conversations with people that want to use Spark and nothing else than just Spark. They don't want ACFS, they don't want Yarn, they just want Spark. I've had people talk to me, we want to use the, the serializer, deserialization, deserialization functionality in Hive, but I don't want to have to put Yarn or Spark or Storm or whatever in there. And I think, and this is my bold prediction, that we're going to be seeing other distribution kind of things out there in the, in the next year where people offer parts of the Hadoop platform as a holistic whole. And the first one in there happened last year already, I would say-ish, uh, which is uh, Hortonworks Dataflow. Mm, interesting. And that will, of course, make life a lot more difficult because it's already very hard to explain what Hadoop is. If I have to explain what Hadoop version A and Hadoop version C and Hadoop version Epsilon is. Yeah. I mean, they, they just won't call them Hadoop, will they? They'll call them my Sparky engine thing. <laughs> so what do you think? My, spark, my Sparky data engine. <clears throat> I think I think you're probably right. Um, I think some organizations just have a certain affinity to certain technologies and just want to use those particular technologies and don't really necessarily care about the rest of it now might their view change in the future sure but um at the moment if you look at hadoop uh, for, for as, a, as a whole i mean one thing let's be really clear hadoop is very good at scaling out mm -hmm. scales out really well lovely linearly sort of performance growth yeah but hang on you if you say it. hadoop but, does that what do you mean do you mean hdfs do you mean yarn well, do you mean spark so I'm, I, at the moment i'm talking about everything as a single kind of amorphous blob of stuff <laughs> okay but what i was what i was going to carry on and say is Sorry. one of the things it doesn't do particularly well is scale down and i see the the sort of the fragmentation that you've just been talking about as part of that kind of that scaling down um, side of things as well. If someone only wants to, for example, just use Spark, um, they don't need a lot of the layered overheads mm -hmm. that come with Hadoop. So I think it, it's to me, it's not just the I only want to use Spark. It's I only want to use Spark, and I don't see the value or i don't even need all of these additional bits and pieces that you cut that you get with hadoop by default i just want to use spark yep. so i think i think you're right i think the the fragmentation um it'll be interesting to see what sort of businesses pop mm -hmm. out of that the other side of things yeah and how disruptive it's going to be for the establishment which exists today yeah. Yeah, and it's actually a good point you mentioned there, because uh, me living in the cloud space now, where the decoupling of storage and compute uh, is a de facto fact. Is that English? Yep. I think it is. And that's one way of having a downscalable platform available, because if your storage is separate, then you can just kick off some compute servers, and that works if you have a original style Hadoop cluster with the uh, local disks having your storage, yeah, decommissioning yep. a node takes a lot longer and recommissioning it means copying data all over again and that's exactly what Hadoop is supposed to not do. Yeah, And even with the on-premise things, with things like uh, NAS servers and the things from EMC and stuff, uh, the, the same kind of movement is in there and I think that's actually a catalyst for the fragmentation that I'm in, uh, actually expecting. Yeah, and even if you look at some of the uh some of the established hardware players like uh, HP have a reference architecture now that separates um, compute mm -hmm. and uh, and storage with you know, th with their Apollo servers. So it, it's definitely becoming more and more commonplace. Mm -hmm. um, whether I actually see many of those architectures and infrastructures being deployed um, last year, not too many of them. Next year, maybe, mm -hmm. maybe, maybe next year is the year of of uh, separated compute and storage on-prem. 
Um, yeah, maybe, maybe. The, the, the biggest worry I have is uh, supportability and maintainability of all these things. If this really happens, can we have such a wild growth? I don't know. Also, well, very, we've, we've got, I was just going to say, we've got an episode, next episode, where we're going to be talking about the sense and nonsense of certifications, and we're actually covering, I think, some of this yep. space there. So I think, uh, yeah, stay tuned for that episode if you're looking forward to mm-hmm. understanding a bit more. Yeah, 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 yeah. I'm also very curious to see how uh, Cloudera, Hortonworks, well, Mapar as well, I guess, are going to handle this evolution, if, of course, it happens. <laughs> Indeed, yeah. If they're going to join or fight against it. Anyway, that was my first bold prediction. I think you can agree it's a bold one. Yeah, I think so. Okay, score for me. You next. Right, so my, my uh, bold prediction is that um, the number and the scale uh, of data breaches um, that uh, that we'll see next year will only get larger. Um, and I think we'll see them become a lot more IoT-focused as well. Um, it just in the news very recently, we've seen the... Uh, um, that the numbers associated with the the Yahoo data breach mm-hmm. become staggering, uh, yeah, mind blowing, um, and it, it's it just seems like this year was basically the year of data breaches. Mm-hmm. It feels like you know the you know, Ashley Madison towards the start of the year, and it's just been continuing on from there. Um, and we talk a lot about security when we're talking about big data. And we talk about a lot of times, you know, big data platforms are largely, I would say, um, more secure because you have, you can apply centralized policies across um, what would typically normally be a whole bunch of completely separate silos. And usually it's a, it's an individual silo that gets accessed. Um, but I think we're we're going to see um, organizations that maybe haven't taken the necessary steps. And I think the the data volumes that we're Mm going to see in breaches um, in uh, 2017 are going to be, you know, true big data scale. And I think it's potentially starting to get very, very scary, especially as you start to move towards um, you know more IoT focused devices. So we you yeah. know, obviously yeah, we had yeah, yeah. things like uh, things like botnets created out of toasters and um, <laughs> washing machines and God knows what else. But um, as you start, as everybody starts to get more and more IoT devices, and potentially the the wealth of information you can find out about something because of their connected devices, uh, it could get very it could get very very scary. I think. And I think that the industry as a whole needs to really double down and really focus on securing um, securing everything that is IoT related um, and re-looking at what they've done for security up until this point. Yeah, I would love to disagree there, but... Uh, uh just as a side note, this year I decided not to share my predictions with Dave before the episode because last year he stole my best one. And I don't want a repeat <laughs> of that. So I can't prove this, but I've got on my list here, there will be a crippling data loss slash privacy thing. So yeah, I think you're totally right. Uh, people yeah. haven't learned. They're putting all their eggs in one basket here. And us as private citizens, we're... M- even more than last year, I think exponentially living our lives online. So we've got accounts everywhere. We share our data with a lot of organizations and people. We don't even know where it's going. And a lot of governments are putting a lot of rules in place, but they are also playing catch-up. This will get worse before it gets better. I totally agree. Yeah. yeah. And I think we kind of need one big, yeah, uh, let's call the Hiroshima of uh, data loss to make everybody aware that we can't do this. We can't let this happen anymore. Sad, but I think it's going to be true. Yeah, yeah, and, and the just the the fallout from something like this. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I, I think you're right. It will it will take a a complete kind of wake up moment like that. We we see more and more governments moving into the big data space, and it's it's a great thing. It really is an excellent thing, and I'm fully supportive of it. But 
they need to have the right amount and the right level of control around the security, around access perimeter, role-based access control, tag-based access control. All of the the bells and whistles need to be in place from the very you know the, the very outset, the very edges of the environment, all the way through to the core. You know, you can't leave any area exposed. And uh, I, th- I think you yeah, it's it's going to be, as you say, I think it's going to get worse before it gets better. Yeah, and the, the big risk here, I think, is that we might go too far because, uh, coincidentally, in the Netherlands, where I live, the government is at the moment making legislation that allows them to f- pretty much tap and record everything going on on the Internet Exchange. Mm. And yeah, I mean, there's ways of doing this and it's still an open question of how far is too far when you start recording stuff like this. Because I can see people being victims of terrorist attacks that would say, why didn't you capture this data and avoid this to happen? But yeah, yeah at what price? And that's a total philosophical debate that's that's going on at the moment, I think. It's good that it is going on, but I have no idea. Yeah, yeah. I, I wouldn't know how to how to. Set, how to set that that uh, that that barrier that that line in the sand where you, you should not cross? It's a yeah. very difficult one. Yeah, very much so. But uh, let's hope we're wrong about this one. Yeah, but um, uh, I don't think this is a bold prediction. This is yeah, this is going to happen. Yeah. Oh well. You heard it here first. Strap on your helmets. Dig your bomb shelter. <laughs> <laughs> Okay, next one. Uh, okay, this is a, a simple one. Two words. I boldly predict chatbots. Oh, okay. So this is where you're going to start talking about the the new Azure bot service, isn't it? Uh, actually, no. I I, 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 I warned you. I've got. I have one that is a bit of a Microsoft fanboy prediction. It's not this one actually, because okay. bot, chatbots are being done all over the place at the moment. They're still in their infancy. But they're very connected to big data and Hadoop because you need a lot of data to make these things appear intelligent. That's the whole thing behind it, of course. There's a whole, there's usually always a, a machine learning, deep learning, neural network solution behind these chatbots to actually appear intelligent. And of course, from the first point of view, that's the natural language analy- analy- analytics to make sure that the bot understands what all of these people are talking about. Yeah. But I see the adoption really going on in the last month only people have been afraid of these things but tools are on the market now that make it relatively easy to make this work and yeah the microsoft azure bot framework is one of them and i've been playing with it and had a lot of fun with it really but there's there's alternatives out there as well and i really think that you will see chatbots everywhere by the end of 2017 they will be so ubiquitous we will have to implement spam anti-spam measures to get rid of bots so i think two things that um two things about this whole topic that are kind of really clear to me one is i can absolutely see the interest and focused in sort of chatbots generally. I mean, if you look at how people interact generally, if there's a there's a text based. You know, there's always been the ability to run a text based search on something, whether it's your your email inbox, your storage repository that your um, that your organization uses, like Box or Google Drive or whatever. And there's usually some form of um, you know, hip chat, Slack chat, IRC service, some sort of chat service somewhere. And without fail, the channel that I see most people go to first off is to the channel where their team or their, you know, their compatriots are, uh, are located and ask the question, does anybody know where I can get? And then, you know, X, Y, Z, just people naturally just find it easier to go and talk to someone else to ask how should I do this where's where can I find that those kind of uh, interactions make it um, it just first hand the easiest way and then yeah sure people in the background may also be trawling through their inbox or you know Google Drive box whatever it might be but you know, it almost certainly people kind of leap to that method of interaction mm-hmm. first. And I think if you can answer, you know, some of those relatively simple questions using a chatbot, um, 
then I think I think you've already got something that that it could deliver a lot of value to almost any organization. Um, but the the second point around chatbots is the real question, and this is this is the this is probably the most significant point on chatbots is how long will it be before I can replace Yon with a chatbot to do the podcast? That's what we really need to know. That happened two weeks ago, didn't you? Notice? <laughs> <laughs> <coughs> oh, yes, dear. I killed Dave. Success. Oh dear. <laughs> oh, brilliant. Yes. Uh, so I, I think, I think that would be, I think the rise of the chatbots, um, I think would be very, very good. I think it's people just naturally want to um, um, want to communicate that way mm-hmm. with a whole variety of different technologies. Yeah, yeah. I'm most looking forward on how people will do it wrong, how they yeah. will build chatbots that don't work or really do strange things. So, yeah, bright future ahead for it, chatbots. It, it'll I think. be a little bit like. Do you remember some of the uh, the early videos of failed flying machines? <laughs> You know that that are all sort of flapping and flapping and flapping, and then they flap so much they fall apart. I think that's what early chatbots will be like. Mm-hmm. Now, if people haven't seen chatbots yet, uh, I can. Uh, sorry, a bit of publicity here, perhaps. If you go on Skype, you have a chatbot re- registered there, and one is called the Murphy bot. And a Murphy bot is a bot where you send a sentence to in the frame of "What if something, something, something?" and then it will go on the internet and find some pictures and make a mashup of pictures that kind of illustrate what would happen if your sentence became true, and can be a lot of fun. There we go. Over to you. I like it. All right. So it's kind of interesting. So as as you mentioned earlier, we didn't share any of our um, any of our bold predictions. So my next bold prediction is actually somewhat related um, to one of your earlier ones. So my bold prediction for 2017 is that we're going to see um, more options for big data, almost as a as a guided self service platform for more focused at the SMB, um, the small medium businesses. And what I mean by that is big data at the moment still feels um, very much focused on large enterprises. Now, we've done podcasts before about what big data could do for small to medium businesses, and the answer is a lot. A lot of interesting things could still be happening. But... Um, at the moment, it's still, you know, you need to go and build a cluster or spin one up mm-hmm. on Azure or AWS or Google Compute or whatever. Um, and then, you know, work, work out how you get your data in there and, and then work out how to an- ask questions that, to answers that you're interested in and all that sort of stuff. And so my prediction is that we will start to see um, platform as a service offerings coming from organizations that under the cover are doing um, are using big data technologies, but the actual use case itself is um, almost like a, a module that eighty percent of it is repeatable for any SMB that's in that similar industry vertical. So you might have you know a small to medium business that's an online retailer. So things like basket analysis or customer journey are things that you can do on a pretty repeatable basis. You don't necessarily need to reinvent the wheel every single time. There will be a few pieces of that that will change different data sources, different data types for each um, each sort of customer. But it should be possible to go from an initial engagement to delivering value in a far shorter time frame than we're used to doing in the sort of the typical big data uh, approach right now. Mm-hmm. So yeah, that's that's my prediction. Data as a, a sort of a big data as a as a platform a service offering that's got a number of industry vertical focused modules that you can just say I'm an online retailer I want to do customer journey basket analysis and you know next best action recommendations um, here are my data sources here are the endpoints how you can connect up to them press go and uh, you know literally have someone do very little or relatively little work on the back end of that plugging into standard modules and actually start to deliver value as a service back to that organization relatively quickly 
And here I thought I was the one who was a Microsoft fanboy. <laughs> I didn't mention them once. Well, actually, no. I did mention them once. But you actually met, this is one of my predictions as well. And oh, Microsoft, uh, Satya, when he did his last uh, insight uh, speech, he talked about democratization of AI. And that's pretty much what you're talking about here, but then specifically for the machine learning, deep learning aspect of things, where uh, pre trained models are available as a restful API, you just send your data point to it and it comes back with a scored model. Things like uh, emotion uh, detection on Twitter uh, feed, Twitter Twitter text and stuff like that, or uh, detecting faces in photos and things like that. That actually exists today, both on Azure and on Amazon. Amazon uh, in their reInvent uh, event last week or the week before, just very recently announced they were going to start doing this as well. And you can; those things already exist as a not as a pass, but as a SaaS, a service, uh, software as a service uh, entry. I would say because you, you don't even spin up clusters anymore. It's just a RESTful API. You send your data set to it, and it comes back with a scored result. And you pay, I don't know, one zero dot zero zero one cents uh, for every question you ask thing. Yeah. So yeah, I think it's already happening today, and it's going to get better and better. Because you're talking about real solutions, the churn analysis, yeah. uh, journey of the customer, and things like that. Basket analysis—that's a next step because that's a combination of things. Correct. Yeah. And I think the chatbot infrastructure is going to be in, in, uh, instrumental in that as well to have to to, to give that a public face. Because how you interact with these things, you'll either have a screen, you have to fill a lot of fields in, or a chatbot and intelligently asks you the things he needs to know based on your answers to give you the, the result prediction, whatever it may be. So, yeah, I totally agree on that. Oh, God. That means it'll never happen. <laughs> hey, I scored better than you did, remember? <laughs> <laughs> Barely. In my scorekeeping, anyway. <laughs> okay. Nothing more on that subject? No, nothing more on that. Over to you. Let's see. I've got a couple more. Um, Okay. Commercial adoption will muddy the waters. And what I mean by that is Hadoop and big data are, well, they're well over the hype cycle. Everybody agrees that this thing is something you should be doing. So I think in the next year we'll see organizations, companies come up with the most ridiculous things you can think about and try to market them because they have big data, have Hadoop, and you must have them. So a lot of misdirection, a lot of FUD being generated about all these beautiful things, which in the end really don't do anything. So a bit of, uh, I don't know, com- yeah, the commercial adoption of the whole concept will cause a lot of heartache for a lot of people because they didn't do their homework or just trusted the sales guy. So you're saying basically uh, big data will become the new snake oil. Yes. It'll be something that will be liberally applied to a whole bunch of... So big data washing, that's what's going to happen. A whole bunch of previously unusable products will be big data washed, Yeah, have big data editions released, and all of a sudden what is old it will become new again. Yeah, with a stamp of approval because it's now big data. Mm. Yeah. Yeah, unfortunately... How come some of our, so many of our predictions this year are very down? But yeah, I think you're probably right. Um, I, I think that big data is definitely over the hype cycle. Um, it is something that organizations are um, far more aware of now and are far more focused on doing something about. And I think you're probably right. We probably will see the market trying to capitalize on that uh, but not in a positive way necessarily next year, um, but instead um, just, as you say, big data washing a whole bunch of um, maybe not true big data platforms, and we'll we'll see a whole bunch of random things pop up that probably don't really deserve to be in that space. Yeah, it's going to be more important than ever for people that want to consume big data to really make sure their partners are trustworthy. Yep. And if it sounds too good to be true... Chances it probably are, is. it probably is. Okay. Mm, okay. Yeah. Interesting. I agree with that one. Let's uh, see see what the year the year shows. <laughs> Ready for my next big bold prediction? Yeah, make it a bold one, please. Okay. So my prediction is that uh, in 2017, cybersecurity with big data will become commonplace. 
Um, You've heard me, if you've been listening to this podcast for any length of time, you'll have heard me occasionally mention uh, things like Apache Metron. Um, There's a whole host of organizations starting to come out of the woodwork now with cybersecurity solutions uh, based on underlying big data technologies. Um, IBM's Watson cybersecurity solution had a, a, a recent release and there's, there's just any number of organizations. And I think we're going to see two things happening. I think we're going to see true innovation. And I also think, actually talking about uh, Jan's last prediction of the uh, big data washing of legacy solutions, I think we're going to see a lot of that happening in the cybersecurity space as well. I think we're going to see established players um, desperately trying to keep hold of their, their market share by big data washing um, some of their existing solutions. So yeah, that's that's my prediction. Cybersecurity plus big data, um, especially in view of again another of our earlier predictions. They all seem to be interlinked. I'm curious um, about data breaches becoming larger and more IoT focused. Um, focused. I'm not quite sure what a focus is, um, but uh, more IoT focused. Even um, you know, cybersecurity is one of the areas where it, it's a perfect. Uh, perfect storm for big data because you're dealing with huge volumes of data that are only ever increasing that it's going to be impossible for a human to actually deal with and score in any sensible way shape or form especially as you move into more and more iot focused you've got you know several orders of magnitude more data that you're you're having to deal with and so yeah that's my prediction yeah to be clear you're not talking about big government agencies doing snooping right um, I'm sure that will happen as well. well I think but no, they do I'm already. just talking about, yeah, exactly. Um, I'm, they're probably going to start using some of the tools that I'm talking about, though. So I just think we will start to see more and more um, solutions for cybersecurity based on big data technologies. Yeah, for, for enterprises and uh, consumers, really. Yeah, yeah. Uh, I'm going to disagree. I think it's too early. I think uh, this year is going to be the hype year, and it's going to take another year at least before these things actually hit the market in any really usable form and not in a form of a R&D project, let's say. Yeah. Okay. Interesting. I guess we'll see who wins that one. Yeah. I'm just, I'm just thinking about Metron. It's been announced for over a year already, I think. They've had one, let's call it a shaky release, which was more of a, let's take this old Cisco stuff and make it work again. And then had one extra release after that. But... Mm, I don't know. The, the the thing also is that if you're going to base your security system, let's call it, on big data, it becomes a yeah, pretty massive investment in time, money, effort, and uh, required intelligence, let's say. Traditionally, what you do is you buy a thing from Barracuda or Palo Alto or something like that, a piece of hardware, you stack it in a rack, you connect up cables, and you're done. You pay a monthly fee, and they'll take care of it. If you're moving to this kind of situation, like a Metron environment, it takes quite an investment for a company. And to make that usable for consumers or prosumers is the new hype word I heard earlier this week. It's going to be hard. And I think even for the small and medium enterprises, it's going to be difficult to get that approved on the balance sheet, on the the budget. So maybe the huge companies like international banking and things like that will do something like that. Uh, big telecoms, yeah, I can see them already doing something, doing something like that this year. But still, I still expect it to be in the R and D phase and not really in the here's a product, just plug and play. Yeah, so I'm I'm certainly not expecting I'm certainly not expecting it to reach SMB, but I I don't know I have I have faith that it will develop. Uh, perhaps quicker than than you have faith in it. So I guess we'll I guess we'll see. Yeah, but you're the optimist here, right? This is true. This is true. All right. Okay. That's it for my prediction. Over to you. Uh, was that your last? Or do you have more? I have one more. Oh, okay, that's good. My next one: uh, in memory and GPU will rule. We've seen prices of memory go down. We've seen availability of GPU acceleration become more available. 
but it's not singlish, I think. And I yep. think that's going to accelerate dramatically because you now see that uh, public cloud providers are uh, giving you big memory machines and big GPU machines. Hardware vendors are building these things as well. There's a lot of demand for it. Whether there's enough budget for it, that's something else. But if you look and, well, I look a lot at, on the machine learning part of big data and these things really get important. I mean, Spark always has been an in-memory thing because for machine learning, you need a fast access. And you really are seeing these uh, Spark instances, this Spark hardware really go large. And I think early this week, uh, uh, Cray Supercomputer Builder is also doing stuff with uh, uh, big data on those big machines. So that's my prediction. The traditionally commodity, low footprint hardware used for Hadoop and big data clusters are going to migrate, going to evolve into huge VMs or physical chassis with a lot of memory and a lot of GPU. And disk storage will just become, well, the stuff you put just data on when you don't use it. And CPUs will become, well, they already have stagnated pretty much. CPUs don't really increase in power that much uh, anymore. I mean, compute power. They just become cheaper to run. So GPUs will take that over. And you can also see that a lot of the tooling around it is becoming more and more directed towards GPU usage. That's a lot of, I mean, in the last year, there's been more innovation on that aspect than in the last decade, I think. So uh, that's uh, my prediction. And of course, this also ties into the democratization of AI. I mean, you can only have these RESTful APIs available if you have the tool sets behind it to make it work reliably, quickly, and so on. Interesting, interesting. I don't know. I don't think I'm quite with you on this particular boat. How dare you, sir? I think, so I feel about this, I think, similarly to how you feel about uh, big data cybersecurity solutions. I think that this year, will uh, 2017 will be the hype year, and I don't think we'll actually see really widespread adoption till maybe the following year. But uh, yeah, it, it's definitely an interesting area, and I'm definitely keeping an eye on it. Yeah, it's just if I see what's happened in the last three months, both on the demand and the offer side, uh, everybody's gearing up for this 2017 to be the year of GPU and in memory. Time will tell. Yeah, it sure will. It always does, doesn't it? It does indeed. Come on, give us your last okay. one. Okay, so here's my final prediction. Um, and it's Atlas <laughs> again. <laughs> So okay, we we missed the uh, we missed the Atlas boat really um, in 2017. It only it only really arrived with um, um, you know HDP 2.5 that came out earlier in the year. Um, it only really arrived in any sense that it was really usable and covered a decent chunk of the uh, of the Hadoop ecosystem. It only really arrived you know, later in the year with, as it started to plug into third-party ISV solutions. Um, and that's unfortunate, but it does mean that coming to the end of 2016, it's now got a very solid base to start growth from. So 2017, I think we will start, I will repeat my prediction that we will start to say Atlas and uh, governance and the integration with Ranger and security. I think we will start to see that become more and more commonplace uh, and it will start to be just one of the standard parts of a, a big data ecosystem. Well, I had Atlas on my bold prediction list as well, but I have pretty much lost faith because my bold prediction reads, and this is my shorthand, so sorry for the crudeness, Atlas will still suck. Governance is the thing everybody wants, but nobody can decide what it is. I don't think, I think they missed the train. I think in the next year, there's going to be a myriad of other things that also do governance on their little piece and the bright, holistic approach world that Atlas was promising us. It's not going to happen anymore. I it's don't see it happening. Yeah, it's definitely a shame because I was, uh, as our bold prediction, my bold prediction from last year said, I totally wanted Atlas to succeed. But I think they've lost their wind. I think they've lost their split time. They're, 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 yeah. Nope. Don't see the opportunity. Uh, well, 
I guess, again, time will tell. No, no, I'm right about this one. <laughs> <laughs> of course you are. Of course you are, Jan. All right. Okay. Well, to finish off, uh, I'm going to reiterate the IBM prediction from last year. As I said in the earlier part, I don't. Uh, Dave already sees it as a success that IBM has ditched their big insight. I don't agree with it, so I think they will do it, however, in the next year. So not really a prediction, but I think they have a second part in that story to play still. Fair enough. And that's it. All right. So how do you feel after having put it all in the open now? <laughs> I feel pretty good. I, I feel. I think it's it's kind of interesting that again we didn't share these ahead of time, and yet we had several that were very closely aligned, um, which either means that we are similarly crazy, or maybe there's some truth in it. I'll go for the crazy thing. Okay. Okay. There's silence, which probably means I have to do something because that's Dave's. Uh, subtle way of saying, Jon, you haven't read the show notes. And looking at the show notes, yes, it says Jon ends section. So with that, unless Dave has something to add. Nothing else from me. Then that's all. That's about all the time we have for today. And looking at the timestamp on my recording, it's not a long one, people. Sorry for that. But we do hope you have enjoyed this serving of bite-sized big data bold predictions. As usual, we'll be back in two weeks' time with a new episode. Until then, please go to www.roaringelephant.org where you can find more information, send us your questions, and please give us a five-star review on iTunes. It really helps new users to discover this podcast and broaden our audience. If you don't think we deserve the full stars and there's stuff we can do to improve, then please let us know. Contact us via the feedback form on our website or email us to podcast at roaringelephant.org with any thoughts, comments, criticisms and other feedback you might have. And if you have a bold prediction you want to share with the world, let us know. We'll read them up next episode. Until then, my name is John. And my name is Dave. And we look forward to talking to you in two weeks' time. In the meantime, we do wish you a Merry Christmas and a Happy New Year. And we'll have to see you again in the new year. Goodbye.